God's grace, peace, and mercy be with you on this third Sunday after Pentecost, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Ever had one of those days when it just seems life's not working out the way you expected? Jeremiah had one of those days. Not the bullfrog Jeremiah, but the prophet. Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah. Well, who's Hilkiah? Hardly anything written about that guy. Very little is known, but we know a lot about Jeremiah because he composed the longest or largest book or scroll in terms of word count in the, in the Bible. He was born during the rule of one of Judah's, that is, the southern kingdom of Israel. Remember, Israel gets split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, which includes the capital city, Jerusalem. Jeremiah was born during the rule of King Josiah. So that's right around 600 B.C. Jeremiah came from a family of priests and began his work as a prophet when he was around 18 years old. Now, how does one get that job? You know, Jeremiah strolled on down to the employment office there in Jerusalem and, and scanned through the help wanted list. You know, prophet wanted Hey, lousy, no benefits. Or how about on his tax return, you know, where you, you write down your occupation in the, in the block, you know? Profit. I don't know. He was unusually young for a prophet, though. Most of the other guys, uh, especially the other, the one other major prophet, Isaiah, were much older men when they got the job. I mean, most men in Judah weren't even allowed to comment on the scrolls of Moses and the Psalms until they were 30 years old. Nevertheless, God had given Jeremiah some amazing gifts, including guts, endurance, strength. God made him tough for the task of head. In fact, the Lord even describes Jeremiah as a Wall of bronze. Take a look at this. Jeremiah 1, verse 17. Now, you're not allowed to touch those pew Bibles yet. (laughs) So, I'll read it to you. This is God describing Jeremiah. But you, this is God speaking to Jeremiah, you dress yourself for work. Get up and say to the people everything I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city. God is making Jeremiah an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, one of whom we heard about in our reading, Pashur, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you declares the Lord, to deliver you. Wow. God tells Jeremiah what to wear on his first day on the job. Amazing. Well, Jeremiah got the job of a prophet because God spoke directly to him. Now, God doesn't do this with everyone. He speaks to most of humanity through his word, which then gets either read or heard, right? But during the time of the prophets, he spoke directly to a few men and in some cases even gave them visions. 
Anyway, God made Jeremiah wise and insightful and passionate about his work. And all of that made him very, very unpopular. Jeremiah's family and friends abandoned him, forsook him. He had no ally but God. His unpopular wisdom made it impossible for him to enjoy even the most basic pleasures in life. And so we know Jeremiah as the weeping prophet. That's right. Rembrandt painted him to look more like the sleeping prophet in his famous painting of Jeremiah, but he's the weeping prophet. He, he lived in evil times, really bad times. Well, they all did, but these are really bad times in his part of the world. They were the last years of the king, kings of Judah before the kingdom was united again. And what may have been the worst thing about it all was that all of this pain and sadness was avoidable. But no one would listen. See, there are plenty of false prophets to go around. And these false prophets were men, and some, in some cases women, who claimed, who claimed to be something important. They had something to say from God. But it was pandering to a crowd who wanted to hear what they wanted to hear so that they could get gold and silver thrown their way and receive shouts of praise. These false prophets were just in it for the money and the glory. They were just telling the crowd what the crowd wanted to hear. See, they assured, false prophets assured the peoples of Judah that God was a supporter of their sin. And Jeremiah, to them, was just a bitter, young traditionalist. Yeah, I guess... You might compare him today to a young conservative, unpopular. But see, having a favorable view of and practicing traditions, the tradition of Moses and all of them, meant obeying the commandments, namely the first one. Love and trust the God of truth. What had happened was the people of Judah, for the most part, had abandoned the God of truth. They had turned away from the God of Jacob and, and, and Abraham and the God of Moses and their forefathers. And the people turned power and pleasure and money into their own lifeless idols. And they even demanded that the temple change the word of God into something that declared them righteous. It's a long and tragic story, but it's all here in Jeremiah, and in some of the other prophets as well. Things weren't working out for Jeremiah and his life as he expected. He got put into the stocks by Pashur. He got put into the stocks because he said things that weren't nice. Now, you know what stocks are, right? They're these things. Yeah. And we've all been them, we've all been in them for fun at the Robin Hood Festival. Hey, at least when I use my own pictures, I don't, have to, I don't have to worry about copyright, right? Yeah. But the stocks weren't fun for Jeremiah. I don't think you were put in these to die. They, they weren't an instrument of death. They, they were more instruments of punishment. You know, you could either put, put, be put in with the hands or the feet. And they were to humiliate you in public. At any rate, it's after being let out of these things after a day that Jeremiah had a few words to say 
with Pasher. And if you remember when I was, as I was reading it, it's kind of like, wow, you know, you get put in the stocks and then when you get let out, you bite the hand of the person that, <laughs> that tortured you. You know, usually you would be like, I'm so sorry. Not Jeremiah. He gives them a warning. That's the history part. Then verse 7 begins the poetry part. Very reminiscent of David and the Psalms, isn't it? Jeremiah cries out to God in one of his many weeping moments. God, you enticed me to think the people would listen. And you overpowered me. Jeremiah felt God had led him into a trap. For people who love and fear God, it's easy to feel that way. A good portion of the world today doesn't love Jesus. And respect for the word of God in this nation appears to be very, very low. And I know I'm starting to sound like an 8-track tape stuck in the machine. But if more people had faith in Christ through the word and the spirit, things would be better. But popular opinion says no. The church wants to hold society back with its traditional ways and views about everything, marriage and sexuality and how to live one's life. And now with racial tensions flared up, the church gets thrown into the bag with other institutions that oppresses people. Jeremiah had the same experience. How does someone hold on to God's word in times like this? Well, the first step is to take Jeremiah's experience seriously. Even though he felt like hiding and retreating and fading away because it's easier to keep keep yourself safe from scorn and anger that often comes our way, he did not stop proclaiming the truth from God, the truth of God. He says, Jeremiah says, If I say I will not mention God or speak any more in his name, There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot do it anymore. It gets to the heart of our lives and purpose as the church. God hasn't left us. He hasn't left His church here on earth to hasn't left us to fit in with the multitudes of naysayers and unbelievers and scoffers. He speaks a different word than the world, world does. A higher eternal word which will always prove good and right and true. It's that way because the word's purpose is to save the world from its foolishness. And we want everyone to hear it. And have the opportunity for faith to be created in the hearts of anyone who will listen. The Lord loves His creation. And that's why His word has been proclaimed in every generation. He will not let it die. He will not let it go unheard. Even when we fall short as individuals in telling it. Or when we fall short as the church in proclaiming it. It doesn't mean we'll escape the scorn and anger from those who reject it. But like the prophet, we bear their scorn knowing our victory has already been won for us through Jesus Christ crucified and risen. 
It's when we realize what's at stake that the course of action becomes more clear and the way we are to live becomes more of a creed or confession of faith. We pray our Heavenly Father would deliver us from every evil of body and soul. That includes pestilence like COVID and dark thoughts, words, and deeds from the heart towards people who aren't like you and I. And when our last hour in this earth shall come, oh, that God would graciously deliver us from all sin and the veil of tears and take us to Himself to be with Him forever in a world which knows no malice, but where everyone is right with God and right with each other. We proclaim the blood of Jesus which overcomes sin and death and the power of the devil who is the father of lies, all lies. And we proclaim Jesus first among ourselves because we've been part of the evil. At some point in our lives, we've had a hand in it. The deliverance we speak about to the world is not only for those who don't get it, it's for those who do. We need a Savior from ourselves and the wrath we've rightly earned. The church isn't a membership members-only club for do-gooders and try-harders. It's a hospital for sinners such as you and me. We've sinned in every way the world has, and we share the world's obsessions. But more than that, church is the home of reconciliation, forgiveness, and peace earned for us by Christ's death and resurrection, poured out onto us our Father's unquenchable love by the Holy Spirit through word and sacrament is done here among His people. And that's good news, my friends. Because of His great love for you and me, we reach out to the world with the only hope for the world's sin. Because, well, we've already drunk deep drafts of the cure of souls. You know, we, we may come up here to the altar and sip the cup of salvation with our lips, but in effect, we're chugging back the forgiveness lavished on us as a free gift from God. Our sins are forgiven, and we get to share this undeserved gift of forgiveness. In the end, it becomes more clear that people hate the church for the wrong reasons. They hear our words as condemnation, which steals away their hope of earthly power and purpose. They're quick to defend evil, and they don't hear the salvation the prophets like Jeremiah proclaim amid their pain and strife. But know this today. This prophetic word is made more sure for us by the Spirit. Trouble will come, and trouble will go, And then more trouble will come. But the true and prophetic words of God will be heard, and it will not return to him empty. Amen. More unheard Jeremiah next Sunday. Just a little more, because it's a big book, and we could spend a whole year listening to stuff from Jeremiah that doesn't get heard on Sundays. But we'll hear more about one one of these false prophets, Hananiah. Jeremiah proclaims to us real good news instead of fake, misleading news. So you don't want to miss it. May the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.